answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you are here with us this weekend. We are, uh, we've got a great program lined up. Of course, um, both myself and my co-host here, we're financial advisors, practicing advisors. We've been at this for a long time and um, come here on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air and help you make wise choices with your finances. And we did a, um, uh, we embarked on a study a few years ago on really, part of it was, what's it take to have a happy retirement? Yeah, the, uh, we call it the future framework. Yeah, but it, in in part of this, when we did this, we in in doing some of our, our research, we found that that confidence, people, one's confidence with their finances, is not so much correlated to the amount of money they have, but whether or not they have a plan in place that they're confident with the money they have. Yeah, so a spending plan, a financial plan, an investment plan, those that have the right kind of plan in place have confidence with their finances. So part of our objective and reason we've been doing this program for years is to help our listeners have confidence with their finances, and it is a bizarre time right it now. Is, uh, it is a strange, strange, strange world because the economy – is most certainly down, but of the stock market is hit. If you if 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 someone would have said, "What's here's what's going to happen to the stock market?" Do you think the market would hit new highs? Well, you know, <laughs> but Scott. So I I think a lot about this. In fact, I had this conversation with my neighbor who actually owns a software company that services small businesses. And 35% of the businesses that they served last year are either closed or not operating. 35%. So I said, what do you mean not? What do you mean? He goes, either they close permanently or they have no one coming through the door because of two reasons. They they can't get product to sell Mm. or the government wouldn't allow them to open. And you're like, Wow. But the markets hit new highs. Yeah, we got there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, during the program, we've got, uh, of course, we'll take your calls. And if you'd like to be part of the program, 833-99-WORTH. We do, uh, we actually, we record the calls during other time. So if you're listening to this and thinking, I would like to join, I'd like for these guys to answer my question at some point in time, simply call us. There'll be a time scheduled and we'll get you um, yeah, you'll get 833-99-WORTH is the number. Uh, but then we've also are going to be talking with Andy Stout, our chief investment officer. And um, I think we'll spend uh, a little bit of time with Andy at the get-go here and then uh, hit some calls later. And, of course, as usual, interject some uh, personal stories with, um, I guess. with <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Maybe we will. Like if they want to hear them. This but usually way. if we're interested in the other person's uh a little antidote or something in their life. Yes. Otherwise, we don't. Um, so we're going to talk to Andy. Andy is our chief investment officer. He works out of our Cincinnati, Cincinnati office. We have 14 offices around the country. But Andy's, yeah, out of our Cincinnati office. Um, Andy's been uh, with the team for many years. Um, and so I think someone asked me, well, Scott, what happened to David Shower? David is still a part of the organization. as our chief market strategist. Um, and um, so anyway, Andy, thanks for taking some time to join us today. Of course, happy to be here. Happy to talk about the economy. Yes, yeah, so Andy, Andy, of course, um, Andy's entire role, and I think it's sometimes people look at financial advisors and think a financial advisor is some sort of money manager who is going to um, know where I should be to get me in the right investments when things are going up and then to be able to get me out before things go down. Uh, 
that's not the, what uh, uh, most f- good financial advisors do. So anyway, at, at Allworth, our philosophy is that people are going to get added benefit, not so much on the investment portfolios, well, that's important, but it's all the financial planning aspects that go around with things. And our investments, we take it very seriously, but rather than leaving our in, individual advisors to spend time on what CNBC all day trying to figure out what's going on in the market, we've got an entire team that does this, and they use... Um, uh, the the team helps build the portfolios for the advisors. That's so, right. So Andy's team, Andy and his team, they're responsible for monitoring the the, the, the economy and the markets but, on a hourly, minute by minute basis. Scott, I mean, look, if, if you look at since the beginning of the year, how we actually underweighted stocks uh, before Andy, you can speak to this. How we underweighted stocks. Uh, before the mark, a little bit before they hit an all-time high, and then we overweighted stocks close to the bottom of the market. Well, we did a rebalance, which essentially we sold off. Just that was just because a discipline approach we had going into this, and that's what I want Andy to talk about is the so discipline Andy, approach. We're lo- we have no discipline right now because we're talking over each other. You've been here <laughs> since the start of the show, and we've let you, all you've said is hi, and we've been entertained. So, Andy, welcome to All Worth Money Matters. This- Today. So, oh, Andy, yeah, can you thanks. talk a little bit about the disciplined approach and what you think of the markets? And well, before that, let's hit the, why. Why? Give, what's what's your opinion on why the markets are hitting new highs? I, I think it's really this simple: markets anticipate the future more than they mourn for the past. We're looking forward. What's happened has happened. We know what's happened. That's done. That doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the future. It's really that simple. I mean, there's some other factors, of course, low interest rates being a very important factor, but that's embedded in the future now as well. And so what, do you, what does that mean, low interest rates? Does that mean that equities or stocks are more attractive because interest rates are low or that corporations can actually operate more efficiently because the cost of borrowing is lower? Or is it a combination of the two? It's both. I mean, if you look at any investment, whether it's a corporation or or an investor, the value of any asset could be a stock or some project a corporation is looking to do. The value of any asset is the present value of those future cash flows. What makes those future cash flows more valuable is when interest rates are lower. So when we have low interest rates, those future earnings, which admittedly are lower than what we expected at the, you know, this time last year, yes. but they're almost just as valuable because interest rates are lower. So the bar is lower, right? So everything is relative. So while earnings will be lower, they're still relative to what uh, the 10-year treasury is paying their higher. Is that what you just said? Yeah, basically. So when we look at that, we, we look at the, you know, the big picture, obviously, and we take a very long-term view of things. And just a second ago, you were talking about the rebalancing process that we have in place. It's a very disciplined process. Uh, so what we uh, did was uh, basically it was on February 20th where we rebalanced back to our neutral because our stock exposure had gotten a little bit overweight. So we rebalanced back to neutral. I mean, there was no magic bullet to this. I don't want to make it sound like we were you know, trying to time the market, but it did happen to be a day after the market high. So, uh, so wait, wait, we took Andy, our equity position then. Andy, so when you say neutral, if – uh, f- yeah, that means if I have a 60% equity portfolio, 40% uh, bond, cash, other instruments, uh, that would be considered neutral. At what point in time, how much overweighted in equities does it need to get before you balance back? 5%, 10%? We'll, we'll typically look around five percentage points, and that's what we did on March 23rd. So on the other end of the spectrum, obviously the stock market, sold off very quickly, had a bear market in record time, uh, a 60-40 portfolio uh, that was rebounced on February 20th by March 23rd, which was four days after the bottom, was when we rebalanced our 60-40 portfolios again. At that point, it was about 55% stock, 45% bonds. So it naturally became underweight. And at that point, we said, hey, let's take this back up to neutral. Happened to be four days after the bottom. Again, not trying to time the market. It's just part of our disciplined investment process. But it ended up being a uh, very good decision it is, in hindsight to rebalance at that time. Well, the decision had been made prior to this, right? Exactly. The decision the on process. the investment process was that was made prior to the pandemic. So when you weren't responding to market conditions, yeah. well, 
it, it, we weren't making decisions based upon market decisions. Okay. We're making the decision that had already been made ahead of time, which I think is important for any investor, whether they believe in our philosophy, investment philosophy or have their own. But it's it's having that. What is the investment approach? What is your investment philosophy? And when it, uh, uh, and don't deviate from that. Right? So, I mean, so Scott, I uh, well, uh, here's the way wait, to think about: it. you want to be proactive, not reactive, and that's what we are here. And you have to follow the discipline because I was talking to an investment advisor and he was telling me about all his discipline about how he did it. And then I said, well, what did you do in this circumstance? And he said, well, I didn't do it that time because the market was different. (laughs) And I said to him, well, you don't have a discipline then because you've written it down. You thought about it, but when it came to act on it, you did not act on it, which is the same thing as not. It's like me joining the gym and never going. I mean, joining the gym was the easy part. Going is the hard part. Well, they're closed anyway, so you can't. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a uh, it's a so, metaphor. Okay. So, uh, Andy, you know, it's what I find interesting. It it's it seems like there's a handful of big companies that are carrying the market to new highs, and there's lots of companies that are still suffering. And as you know, you 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 put the statement of markets anticipate the future more than they more in the past but there's a lot of good quality companies that the stock prices are still much lower so it doesn't i mean what's what's up with this market well when we look at the companies that have done the best it's really the ones that are positioned to weather the work from home experience so what what you and I are doing, you know, we, we've been having a lot of calls on Zoom, you know, as an example. Uh, you know, Google, Apple, they're able to really leverage the situation better than your brick-and-mortar stores like Macy's, obviously. And Amazon, obviously, is doing a great job. So what you're seeing is these companies that are, I'll say, more in the cloud, if you will, uh, not from a valuation perspective, although that can an argument can be made there, but more from like an Internet uh, presence. You know, they are being utilized more by consumers today, and that's helping their future earnings. Now, if we look at from a valuation perspective, these few companies that have kind of lifted the entire uh, your portfolio kind of in uh, aggregate, you know, they are a little bit stretched. So, I mean, that's a good reason to want to make sure that uh, when I say stretched, I'm talking about like how much earnings they have for a dollar of whatever their, their price of the stock is. You want to make sure you have an overall balanced portfolio. So these stocks will eventually come back down to earth to be a little bit more reasonable, but we're not going to try to pick the exact time that happens. But by having a broad-based, advocated approach, you get exposures to all of those good stocks as well. So even when there is an ine- the inevitable rotation out of those stocks, I'm not saying it's going to happen yet, but you're going to have exposure to the other areas that are going to benefit in the meantime. So Andy, so when we talk about stretch – we're talking about price to earnings, right? So if a company is trading at 20 times earnings for every dollar it makes, it trades for $20. When you say stretched, what do you yeah, mean how by are these how, how are they stretched? So is it 50 times earnings? Is it 100 times earnings? What, what you know, because what, what 22% of the well, yeah, S&P 500 is now made up of less than 10 stocks, right? 22%, yeah. right? right? So how stretched yeah. are they? Well, when we look at it in a few different ways, we can look at the trailing earnings or the forward earnings. But either way that you look at them, when we when we talk about stretch, we can talk about the what we would talk about the PE ratio. You're looking right around that twenty to twenty one level when we're looking at forward earnings. So that's higher than normal. The more the normal level is usually around an eighteen uh, forward price to earnings ratio. So we are a little bit elevated there on the forward basis. When you, on, put on it, when you look basis, at it that it's way, higher. It's, it's not 25, 26. But it's when you, when you, when you look at it in re- relation to the low interest rates, the bond, it, it maybe is not that high, right? Right. Exactly. So if you're an investor, think about this. You have two choices. You can invest in stocks or you can invest in bonds. Let's just keep it that simple. I know that there's other things you can do. Your bond return is typically going to be whatever your interest rate is over that period of time. Right now, bond interest rates, so for long-term investor, you might be getting about 2%. I know it kind of stinks, but that's just where interest rate levels are. The levels are the levels. You can't change that. When you think about a stock investor, you have the – we've been talking the P.E. ratio. So let's just say the price earnings ratio is 
20. If you take the inverse of that, meaning you flip it upside down, you get what's called earnings yield. That's at 4%. So if you look at it from a very simple perspective of, and this doesn't include dividends for stocks, but maybe you're getting a higher expected return on the stocks with that 4% level, again, not a long-term prediction, but it's higher than 2% of bonds. So if if you have two choices, stocks or bonds, right now stocks technically are a little bit more attractive looking at just price earnings. But I'll tell you what, um, you know, Scott and Pat, we look at a lot more than just the PE ratio. I mean, there's a lot of other valuation techniques. Uh, so when we're looking at other ways to value stocks, they're not as overvalued as just the price to earnings ratio may look at it. Now, these, uh, these, some of these tech companies, they are overvalued in other areas like price to cash flow, price to sales. But really, outside of that area, the rest of the market isn't really overvalued from a historical basis. It, by the way, this is all worth money matters with here with Andy Stout, chief investment officer. Uh, but what? What? So we? I don't think we've seen the same kind of run ups like in the European markets. Yeah. Why? 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 And is their interest that? rates are even lower. Yeah. Why is Negative that? In many cases. Do you I have mean, an opinion about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, Do you have an opinion right. about that? Not why is no, that? Because I, I know you don't no, actually no. know Nobody <laughs> the answer. Well, I mean, let's think about the companies in Europe. I mean, if you look at like the top companies in Europe, the top companies in the U.S., there's really there's not anything that really inspires you. They're all old line companies, aren't like they? Nestle, <laughs> exactly. or Siemens, I mean, a lot of, right? Mercedes, banks. They're, they're a big company. The banks take up a big amount, and banks are struggling because of interest rates yeah. being so low. And, you know, they're and not defaults. able to you know make a good profit there. So there's a there's an impact there in Europe as far as that goes. Now, when we look at the demographics, demographics in Europe, they're not as good at either. But if you just look at a long history of the earnings growth in Europe versus the U.S., uh, earnings growth in Europe's been all over the place. They're getting hammered by. One crisis after the next. We had Brexit, you know, obviously still going on. Uh, but over the past couple of years prior to that, you had the European debt crisis where you had, you know, Portugal, Italy, uh, Greece, and Spain. You thought they might fall out of the European Union, thought they were going to default on their debt. So they've had a crisis after crisis after crisis. And that's why we haven't really seen any long-term growth out of Europe. Now, that will change as well. From a valuation perspective, you know, we're talking about valuations. So Europe is uh, relatively attractive compared to its own history. So, you know, there could be some upside there. But in the meantime, still focusing here on the U.S., we still like U.S. stocks better than uh, European stocks. And do you, so we had the medical, I mean, the, uh, what was the CARES Act? Or I can't keep track of The HEROES Act, the Secure Act. Well, okay, whatever <laughs> always really Anyway, the big, sti- the big stimulus. That was uh, the CARES Act. And then Congress, people were expecting them to come up with something. They didn't. Um, What's so, the effect of that? So we hit new high. So one would ex- one would expect that we're going to struggle hitting uh, new highs without without the government giving everyone more money. Well, yeah, right. But well, it, I, I, the market's expecting you know the Congress to eventually do something. I know President Trump basically he signed uh, four executive orders a couple of weekends ago. Uh, one of them was uh, $400 in unemployment benefits, 300 of that was from the federal uh, government, 100 from states, although it sounds like a lot of states aren't even going to kick in that extra 100. So if people who are unemployed are looking closer at 300 as far as that goes. But it's also uh, it's redirecting current funds. It's actually not new money. President Trump doesn't have the authority to do that. He's just redirecting, at least on the federal level, uh, stuff from the coronavirus relief fund. So that's where uh, – or the disaster relief fund. That's where the federal money is actually kicking in from. So he's not creating new money. We're still going to need Congress to come together. Most people think they will. You know, they probably will just because they don't want to get blamed for, you know, things getting worse. But, you know, what? they're in recess right now. So uh, I think the Senate's out until September 8th unless they want to come back before Labor Day. And so, he, so talk a little bit, if you would. I'm interested what you think about the airlines and the hospitality industry, uh, specifically hotels uh, in the travel industry. Is it is what will, the, in your opinion, what will the recovery look like? Will it ever get back to where it was? Is it going to be 50 percent? What are your thoughts on that, Andy? Or what's the market going to be pricing in? Oh, yeah. What's yeah. What's the market say? Well, obviously, these uh, industries have just gotten decimated uh, in, in the stock market, and there, that's no secret, and it's no surprise. And it's going to be a long, slow recovery. When we look at – just going to give you uh, one thing, what to think about it. 
the total spending by consumers is actually back up to pre-crisis levels, which is kind of mind-boggling to think about considering we completely shut down. But our total spending is back to pre-crisis levels, but we're not spending in the same areas. It's a hospitality. That's amazing. That is amazing. You, the, so the um, average American is spending as much money now is pre-crisis, but they can't go yep. out to dinner. They can't travel. Exactly. So exactly. there is just, Tons and tons of money being spent on dress shorts and gym shorts for Zoom <laughs> meetings. Yeah. <laughs> right. Home projects. And when we think long term about the hospitality industry, well, it's going to be it's it's going to take a it's going to take a long time to pull the recover. I mean, just look at airline passengers. Uh, in early March, before the shutdown, you know, we were seeing about uh, two million passengers uh, on on the airline side. Uh, now we're looking at about seven hundred thousand, and that's a recovery. When you say two from, million, two million a day, two million a month, two million. When you say two million, uh, basically it's over like a, a, a one week period. Okay. So like the week ending March sixth, I think it was around two million. The week ending August fourteenth, it was around seven hundred thousand. So it's a big drop off. And in April, it was around ninety five thousand. So a pretty big drop in airline. We have seen a good recovery. Obviously, ninety five thousand, seven hundred thousand. But airline industries, they're not, uh, you know, they're not flying as much. There's obviously lots of layoffs. Uh, you know, American Airlines, they're going to stop flights in 15 cities once the government aid ends. So it's going to take a while for these to get really back to where uh, they once were. And uh, going out to restaurants, I mean, restaurant bookings were down 50 54% compared to the same time last year. Now, clearly, it's better than where we were in April and May when you weren't allowed to go out to eat, uh, but we still, what we've seen Andy, though, can you, data, for a second, can I ask you this, Andy, yeah. how do you know that statistic <laughs> off the top of your you head? Know, so here's what my, I, I, was, I was waiting for the opportunity to state, there was a list of questions for us to ask Andy. I don't know if we've asked any of them. We're just asking random questions that we're interested in, and he's spitting out these. How does you know this 54%? How do you know that? I, I just look at the data every day. I mean, it's just, it's, Part of my daily routine, uh, I have uh, you know some screens in front of me that I I know. What How I'm many screens at. do you have in front of you? Well, a lot. Like uh, well, I mean, two screens, but there's a lot of monitors, windows like, where I get. Okay. Anyway, I just go through lots of data. So we I have a ton of questions <laughs> that we're gonna now well, ask. No, you. I, but but all right. It it, it so it, it appears to me. That the typical investor is saying, eh, this is all going to be short-lived. Um, not really that concerned about what's going to happen between now and the end of the year. I'm looking at 21, 22, 25, 23. Right? Um, it feels like the, the, it, the market must be pricing in a vaccine or at some, some point. Therapeutic. Or some therapeutic that's going to allow the economy to open up again. Is it? Right. Yeah. I mean, so right now, if we look at the, the medical side of things, uh, first, the therapeutics, well, there's two decent therapeutics out there, right? There's remdesivir and dexamethasone. Uh, the issue with them is the supply chain logistics, making sure they're able to get out to enough people. Uh, but fortunately, uh, you know, we have seen that the new daily cases come down uh, over the past few, uh, you know, the few weeks. The seven-day moving average here in the U.S. of new cases is basically back to where it was uh, at the beginning of July. We're right around 47,000 on a, on a daily average look at the past seven days. Now, on the vaccine side of things, um, we all know, or maybe we don't all know, but you know, Russia registered the first vaccine uh, last uh, Wednesday. It's met with a lot of skepticism in the scientific community. Um, I doubt because, Putin's taking the vaccine, I'm just saying. Well, he's, you know, he Putin. said he, his daughter's taking it, though. So, oh, Although, uh, apparently, it's just a strange dog. Sure he's uh, he's wrestling degree, a bear so. right now. He, he would take the vaccine, but he's wrestling a bear. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's put aside the, the Russian vaccine for now, just because it really hasn't been through as many trials as a lot of the other ones. We have six vaccines that's in phase three trials. Uh, what that means, there's testing on several thousands of people. So that's actually really good. Things have been sped up from that perspective. Uh, the issue becomes, I mean, 
there's a couple issues, but one, we probably will have a vaccine sometime in the fourth quarter that will be made available to medical personnel and those high at risk from one of those six, or if not more of the six, they kind of, they do use different uh, ways to come up with a vaccine in order to fight off the virus. So there's, there's actually a lot of good progress on the vaccine front. The concern I have is people aren't, a lot of people aren't going to want to take it. There was a survey done by Gallup, uh, Yep. Just a few weeks ago, that showed that 35% of Americans would be unwilling to take a free FDA-approved vaccine. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a big a, number. And well, it's an interesting I time because with, they're worried about the long-term effects. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, Andy, I appreciate uh, as always. Uh, you, every time I talk to the guy, I'm actually uh, I'm astounded, Scott, that he actually can. He knows these. That and we didn't pre. We didn't say these are the list of questions we're going to ask you. Yeah. Anyway, Andy, thanks again uh, for being part of the program today, and thanks for all you do for Allworth and the clients that we serve. Absolutely. Always happy uh, to talk to the economy. Right. Thanks. Right. thanks. I, thanks. I, I know he does quite a bit, too, so <laughs> he, he obviously loves and breathes his stuff. It, what's so nice about having a, uh, Andy Stout as part of our team communicate with the advisors on a regular basis Making sure that um, building our, portfolios, our financial plans are designed to weather whatever storm, whatever the next storm might be that comes. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take some calls. You're listening to Allworth's Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. Um, thanks for joining us, being part of our program today. Uh, our number to be uh, on the show, if you've got a question for us, 800, I'm sorry, 833-99-WORTH is the number, 833-99-WORTH. And let's talk with Maggie. Maggie, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? We're wonderful. Thank you, Maggie. Thanks for joining us. Okay, I have some questions. I had to retire last year um, unexpectedly due to an illness. Sorry and to hear that. I will be Was that your illness or will... someone in your life? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's my illness, darn it. <laughs> Sorry. But I'm dealing with it. Anyway, I'll be 68 next month. And I have about four hundred thousand in um, in IRA, and then I have about a hundred thousand in a four hundred one k, and then about forty thousand in a different four hundred one k from different employers. Now my husband is sixty eight. He retired eighteen years ago, and he wow. has about two hundred. I know it not was not my idea. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, anyway, he has about 200000 left in his IRA. So at this point, I'm wondering about a lot of things. But one thing to keep in mind is I may move to a different state, depending on how the election goes, along with half of the other people in California. However, I'm wondering, should I be converting some of my 401ks or some of my IRA to Roth? to protect from future taxes. When do you think you might leave California? Depending on how the election goes, possibly next year. And are you on Social Security uh, and is your husband on Social Security right now? Yes. We're both both on on Social Security and he's taking a distribution from his IRA. So our income is about $70,000 a year now. And how big is his distribution every year from his IRA? Um, he's taking, I believe he's taking 27,000 a year. Okay. So he's taking 13 and a half percent out of that. Wait, so he knows your, he's well, drawing it down. What's your home? When he, when he started it, he and his IRA was like 480. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, it was a legal percentage when he started. Understand. Although it was high. I mean, it was like whatever the highest was back 
18 years oh, ago. Oh, because he or, did it under 72T, which is a substantially exactly. equal distribution prior to age 59 and a half. But he can change it yep. at any time, by the way. But that's a different subject altogether. Yeah, well, that is a different subject. Now, back to what you were asking. Our home is, we owe about 290 on our home. It's worth about 630 Um, I talked to our tax person. She said we have about 30,000 cush um before we go into a higher tax bracket. So I could either convert some of my 401ks or my IRAs to a Roth. And what what do you have as far as cash outside of retirement plans? Not much. That was another thing. I thought maybe I should just take like 20,000 out and keep it in CDs for emergency use or something. Well, that's not that that wouldn't be a driver because you could keep it in CDs inside the IRA and not pay taxes. And do you have do you have uh, adult children, grandchildren that live near you now? I have one adult child that lives with me who has a disability. Oh nope. And but, yeah, but do you have like grandchildren that live like? Is there a reason you're living in California other than the fact that you're living in California? Is there some emotional family connection that's yeah, keeping you I here? Have, I have two sons. I have two sons in California. One is about three hours away, and one lives with me. I mean, because from a financial standpoint, I mean, this um, there's not a ton. What was your What was your pay before you um, were forced to retire, Maggie? Um, I had a really good job year, uh, years ago. They downsized it, sent it out of state, so the last job I had mm. was about thirty eight thousand but it was uh just a temporary job and I how much is like your social years. security mine is about seventeen hundred so but scott so between the two of them uh, i mean, I'm, I mean they're receiving forty three thousand dollars a year in social security between the two of them um just based i mean on I'm, the- I'm thinking I'm thinking to myself if you're my older sister, I would say, yeah. If you move to a different state, you could have a house that's paid for. Because part of the concern is is your husband's IRA is not going to last forever at twenty seven thousand dollars a year withdrawal and a two hundred thousand dollar IRA. But but Scott, to counter that, they have seven hundred and forty thousand dollars in IRAs between the two of them. They're taking twenty seven thousand dollars a year not, out. You're not touching yours at all yet, Maggie. I am not touching mine, and like I said, I have four hundred thousand in an IRA, yeah. and then yeah. one hundred forty in two four hundred one k's. So you're at a four percent. Distri- you're less than a four percent distribution across all your retirement plans. So, okay. if you were my older sister, the first thing I would do. By, well, I used to say if you were my mom because that was much younger then. But now, she's older. before be. long, it's going to be if you were my daughter. <laughs> So, but no, the first thing, if you were sitting in my office, uh, the first thing I would address is the, the child that lives with you because of a disability. And I would look to see whether you needed a special needs trust. Have you looked into that? That's the first thing I would do above anything else. That is, um, that is a really good point. I did ask someone about that about two or three years ago but i never really got any information on how you do that okay so that my whole point of not touching my 401ks and my iras are i am trying to preserve a lot of um, money in those so they can be inherited by my children all right well so and presumably your disabled child is on social security disability no uh, it's uh, no. It's just a dependent. Is the child disabled? Is the In child way, unable yes. to work for whatever reason? So if you were sitting in my office, that's the first thing we'd talk about, right? Which is because that is the biggest co- consideration in this financial plan which is listen if your child is dependent upon you because for whatever reason they are unable to be employed or take care of themselves that and you believe that it's your responsibility to do so not not judging whether it is or it isn't this is the conversation we would have is okay well then we're going to plan for that right if okay it's not your responsibility I would do one of two things. I would either 
consider moving out of state if that is a consideration because you could actually move out of state, get rid of your mortgage completely, buy a nice house in Idaho, Wyoming, you know, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado. You know, I was thinking of Idaho, Wyoming. Well, everyone, everyone is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, a friend of mine just moved to Idaho last week. Oh, California. Moving <laughs> just, to Idaho. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's like, uh, so actually the problem with moving to Idaho is it will be California soon if enough people move there. Um, I would consider the movement. I would not consider a Roth IRA. No, and think about this. Conversion until. So with right now, the you're. You're in a 12% federal income tax bracket, which would bump to uh, 22% when your income, your, your accountant said you get about a $30,000 room there. That 12% number used to be 15% before the latest, latest. So there's a chance taxes will go up, yes, at some time in the future. But in California, the way the California rate is, it's highly progressive. So it starts at 1%. But at your income level, it's about a six, maybe an 8% rate in California. So you take that 30000 out or some portion of it, you're like, yeah, this is great. I get to pay a low tax to the feds, but you're paying all these dollars to the California, which you, you, may, which you not, may not ever, be, even if you stayed in California, because you'd be pushing yourself up into a higher income. So the, the point being is, I like that the fact that you're having the conversation with yourself about, should I convert to a Roth or take money out? And the answer is, if you think you're going to move to a lower tax state the answer is no i would wait if next year okay. you land on the fact that you're going to live in california forever then we would have that conversation i doubt if it ever makes sense for you to actually convert to a roth ira yeah. especially okay. if your goal even is if you to knew you're gonna these, stay here i don't think yeah so. especially if your goal is to leave money to the child but like i said if the first thing you need to do, you and your husband have to sit down and actually consider. Well, there there are many issues to be dealt with, frankly. But Scott, the you one know. that would concern me the most if I was was yes. Maggie, which would. But be I mean, part of it, as I'm thinking, we. I'm not trying to like pitch right here, but we use our, we we call our seven personal decision point process that as people moving into retirement, one of those sevens. These are the seven areas that you need to really focus on, and particularly the first year or two into retirement. Some immediately, some you got some time. One of those sevens is the estate planning issue. In Maggie's situation, that is a higher priority than maybe some others because of if something happened to both you and your husband today, like what happens, right? Well, I actually, I have your book, and I do have <laughs> an estate me. plan, which, which I just updated. Um, oh. So... Yeah, so I just updated it um, within the last month. Beautiful, because uh, I had done it. I had done it like 16 years ago, and it's so set I up in such a way it. that you're totally comfortable and, and that money confident. would be set aside. So, in that estate plan, does it set up a special needs trust for your adult child? It might not need to be a no. special needs stuff, but have some restrictions on it and doles out the money when needed. Is that kind of how it's set? Right. If something happens to both of us, then my two sons are 50-50 on it. And my one son is named as a trustee now. So if my husband might okay. got in a car accident, yeah, and you're that that, and, and, and you over. would be totally fine with um, both of your children to receive half of your estate day one when you passed away. They've got absolutely okay. Okay, well, there we go then. all right. It, it, so the answer to your question, we went on a big journey there, but the answer to your question is no. You should not consider a Roth conversion nor should you consider taking more money out of that probably ever a Roth conversion um, if you live in the state of California. If you move to another state, eh, you might consider it, but I don't know. There wouldn't be a lot of benefit for you one way or the other. Mm, okay. Now, if she, well, if she was in a zero-cost state, I'd certainly, yeah. The why? challenge is you don't have— But why? She's in a zero-cost state— because the federal, because she's in a twelve percent federal income but tax. But you'll always be in a twelve percent. It used to be fifteen, and it, okay, it's not so a permanent. you're saying if it, it goes up, when it sunsets, what happens if it goes down? Do you think taxes are going to go down from? They did. Americans? They went from fifteen to twelve. I doubt they're okay. going to go any lower. <laughs> but yes, you would consider that. I, I stand corrected, Scott. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and actually, I, I have enough income at this time um, coming in monthly that I'm putting like an extra three hundred dollars on my house payment every don't month. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. No. Oh, don't do that. Okay. No, no, no. You want to get look if you're going to stay in this house forever, you want to get the longest mortgage possible. 
Gotcha. Okay. Right? And to keep your payments as low as possible if you're going to stay in that house. Because the reality is you're gonna you owe two hundred and ninety thousand dollars on it. Putting an extra three hundred dollars a month on this thing isn't gonna pay it's never gonna be paid off in your lifetime. It might be when no, she's eighty nine. She's sixty eight now. I know. So. That's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think I don't think so, guys. No, I don't think so. I wouldn't pay anything extra. I, in fact, if you're going to stay in that house, I would refinance into a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, the lowest interest rate possible, and not worry I about just paying did it that off. In, Beautiful. I just did that in February. Okay, don't pay yeah, anything no, extra. Doing, and if you want to move, you. move. If you don't want to move, stay where you're at. You're doing fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. Proceed. Well, I, I appreciate going on a journey with you guys since I can't go anywhere in real life. <laughs> And it's too smoky outside to even breathe. So it was nice to take a little uh, virtual journey. Good. Thanks, right. Maggie. Thanks, glad, you, glad you joined the the program today. And um, so, and by the way, our our advisors, we've got eighty plus advisors, and meet with people every day on a video call or some phone calls, but typically a video call. It is a weird time when you can't. Uh, yeah, lots of video calls. Anyway, to join All Worth Money Matters, eight three three ninety nine Worth is the number. It's eight three three. 99 worth. So, Scott, uh, for the listeners, so Maggie called from the Sacramento area. We are broadcasting from the Sacramento area. And And I've lived in the Sacramento area for 30 years, grew up in Southern California, and have been here for... But there are four, there are fires in Northern California. Our studio smells like I'm camping. I mean, it smells like smoke. Um it, it is. I know. And and we've got these big air conditioning units and yeah. stuff. Supposed so to. when Maggie said that... At least there's power on smoking. today. <laughs> Actually, I, you know, I, yesterday I was thinking, I read this book when I was in high school called The Late Great State of California. Um, that was in high school. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I read this it's book. It's been pretty, pretty good since then. Well, this story was science fiction about how the... I was talking to someone who's like, man, it can't get any worse. Now we got, first the pandemic, now the fires are smoke. I said, oh, I said, there could be a nice big earthquake in California. They've been predicting that for years. It could get worse. And maybe then the locusts will come. Yeah, it could get worse. All right, 833-99-WORTH. Let's talk with Gary. Gary, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Scott and Pat, thank you for, for taking my call and of course, for all the great financial advice you've provided me over the last 25 years. Oh, Long-time well. listener. Well, thank you. Oh, good. Thanks. I like the fact that you use the word all rather than some. So, <laughs> You know, let me give you some background here. You know, I'm going to be retiring next June from my second career in education as a public school administrator. I have accrued um, about seven years of service with STRS, and uh, it will come out with a monthly modified benefit amount about $1,200 per month. I have the opportunity actually to buy back an additional three years of service at a cost of $63,000, which would increase my monthly modified benefit to $1,750 or an increase of about $540 per month. Now, my question is- How old are you? I am 63 years of age. How's your health? My health is great, and my wife's health is great as well. How old's your wife? She's 60 years young. Got it. So you're 63. (laughs) She's 60. So we're talking about buying an immediate annuity. And when you say 540 a month, is that a joint and survivor benefit to 100%? Is that what we're talking about? So that if you die? Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. If I die, she will continue to receive that till the day she dies. And then what is your question for us? My question is, would it be in my best financial interest to buy back those years? Let me just put it this way. If you choose not to do it, I'm happy to drive over to your house, give you the check for 63,000 as long as you sign over the rights to that additional income. I'll take this bet all day long. But now I'm going to ask a couple questions to qualify that because I agree with Scott. Do you have the $63,000 somewhere? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> that, to that buy this question. with. Uh, you know, I do. I have it in a 457 or a 401k. So I would just roll it right over. And how much do you and, have in those retirement accounts total? Well, right now there's about 120000 I do have about 100000 in cash. Okay. I also I also have a, a PERS retirement of of well, well over ninety thousand a year. My wife has 
uh, PERS at 25 uh, okay. a year as well, too. So, And your house is paid for? No, it's not. What do you owe in your home? I owe just under 300 all right. But you can afford the payments easily on your pension. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, no you know, I would not use my 401k and 457 to buy it back. I'd use the cash. Okay. And let me tell you why I would use the cash. Okay. By using the cash, um, you're actually kind of converting this into a tax deferred account because they will allow you to actually use the cash to buy this 63,000. So this extra $540 a month that comes to you, a portion of it will come to you tax-free and a portion of it will become taxable. You're essentially growing that $63,000 tax-free over your remaining and your wife's remaining lifetime. And that's why I would use the cash. By the way, I ran the numbers. You and I'm going to guess, Scott, uh, three, what, what, what was the return on the money? It was 10.1% based upon 63. Here's what I did that $63,000. I assumed a 25 year life expectancy, which is probably actually uh, the statistics are one of you will clearly pass that. Uh, you would need to earn a slightly over 10% return to generate 540 per month. Gary, this is an IQ test. I don't know why Cal Sturz is underfunded. <laughs> why that is it? I have. It's so strange. Why is it? Why are the government pensions underfunded? This is crazy. That's why you would drive that's, Gary. Before I even ran the numbers, I just looked at it in my head. Oh, that yeah, looks pretty dang good to me. That's a crazy return. You, you, you would, you would take every penny you have and mortgage your house to buy that. Yeah, pension. yeah, of course you would. Every penny. Okay. If I okay. actually had access to a pension like that with all my clients' money, I would close my business down tomorrow and buy every yeah. bit well, of it. Well, if you remember years ago in the state of California, any state of California employee could buy up to five years of additional credit. It was equivalent to about an 8% return. Uh, every client that we had without throughout Allworth that was state of California employees that had this option and some retired, we're like... You have to take your money from here and invest it there because... Assuming you had a normal life expectancy. Yeah, because it was 8% plus the cost of living adjustment. So, yes, sure, you're going to buy it. it. You're going to use after-tax dollars, that money you have sitting in cash. Uh -huh. and that's what you're going to use to buy it with. Okay, very good. And, and by the way, I am a client of of yours and I did buy back five years. Oh, of you did? Okay. Years ago. So, so thank you. You know what I love? So I've, there's, this is always, these conversations are always bittersweet because I'm always so happy to help people whenever we can assist to, to maximize what whatever benefits, financial benefits are in their life. It doesn't matter. As a taxpayer, I go, drives me crazy when I look at stuff Who, like this. Gary, who's your advisor? Uh, Davis is my advisor. Oh, Davis Bloomquist, very, very sharp yeah. young man. Yeah. Very, very sharp. Yeah, we appreciate. Young man. Glad so, you called. Gary. Uh, glad you we called. And you appreciate uh, you being a client. And by the way, uh, for full disclosure, Gary's uh, experience may uh, it's totally not indicative of other clients. Most clients probably hate us. <laughs> okay, that's what's the disclosure. We can't use any sort of testimonial, so we always have to be careful. So when someone says we didn't. Solicit that we didn't know. I don't he know if he gave us. He says I've been a client. He, I don't think he says he he's didn't had say a great anything experience. positive. He said we helped him with this pension buyback, which is uh, he may be quite miserable. <laughs> yeah, and his investment returns might have been absolutely dismal. As a well, I'm hoping not. But just because yeah. of the <clears throat> regulatory environment we live in, your experience may not be as stupendous as Gary's. Now. I, I just ran the numbers based upon the the numbers that he provided, which may or may not have been the exact numbers, but you, 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 they're pretty. Dark I close. mean, and we wonder why our government pension plans are. We don't. Not, okay, thank you. We don't. <laughs> what do you wonder? No, of course I don't. <laughs> do I don't you exactly really ever want. wonder? No, like you're right. I didn't. Wonder. I was actually bike riding um, a couple of days ago with a friend of mine who retired from the state of California as a prison guard. And uh, actually he was administration in the correction system. And he's like, oh man, I had no idea when I started this job that I'd be able to retire at 53 with a big old fat pension like this. <laughs> I think he needed a job. <laughs> he goes, I feel like I hit the lottery. That's, That's what, what he, he told said? Me. Oh yeah. He's like, I would have done it without the pension, but he goes like, eh, you know? <laughs> I mean, this guy's 100% serious. 
He did. Oh, and his pension's probably he's his, his income now is oh, probably more Scott, than he's waking. You gotta love this guy. So he retired. He went back to work for the state of California halftime. Goes back to work for the state of California halftime, and they said they laid him off because of the pandemic. And they said, "Well, don't worry about it. Uh, you can file for unemployment insurance." And he said to them, "Don't you think I've gotten enough from the state of California? I'm not going to apply for unemployment insurance." He goes, I, I just can't. I go, well, you know, that's like a lot of money. He goes, I pat. I just can't. You're kidding. No, no, I'm not kidding. I, I love the guy. I'm like, that is a stand-up guy. He's like, I've gotten enough from the taxpayer. I'm not going to go to the well anymore. Like, good for you. It's interesting. Um, prior to this, um, prior to this pandemic, there was already some kind of envy between pension people envy. Yes, pension envy. Of people retired with a pension, and people didn't retire without a pension, and the almost exclusively the only ones that have pensions anymore are government employees, utilities too. Okay, so I said almost, almost. Well, okay, okay. so the highly regulated by the government <laughs> industry. Okay, okay. I mean, that's right. <laughs> utilities are just one step away, are they not? I mean, the uh, government tells them what they can charge. The government controls everything about them. A little yes. bit less now than maybe in the past, but um, and <clears throat> it'll be interesting to. See, where this shakes out. Because there's so many of these cities and states and governments, all the local governments, are they're, they're struggling so bad right now, and they say we need a, a federal government bailout. And there may be some of, to some extent, but... When the federal government is looking at the states and saying, look, you're not all the same. Some of you have been fiscally conservative, yeah. and, and some you got, of you have not. You got like... Illinois, Chicago, where they've got people are leaving in droves. I mean, the, it's popul- the city of the population in Chicago is shrinking. You have states like Nevada. And they're the worst as far as pension. Uh, right. Funding. In terms of their. But you've got states like Nevada that don't have nearly as rich of pensions as states like Illinois. That's right. Or California. Right. The pensions aren't this. They're, they're not nearly as rich. But the federal government, everyone's asking, got their hand out, and the federal government's like... And California is now, they someone threw out two different things. One is an additional 3% tax on wealthy. So now we're talking over over 16% tax. Okay. Uh, and a wealth tax that they're going to get you for even for the next decade once you leave the state. That's what, they're, that's what they're proposing right now. Yeah. And they wonder why people... Anyway. Are leaving. Anyway, but, we are... Um, we are running out of time, unfortunately, but it's always great having you here. Want to let uh, if, if you don't receive our newsletter on Fridays, uh, go to allworthfinancial.com and sign up for it because I think there's some useful information there. Uh, we, we talk about a variety of different things. Andy Stout, who was on earlier, he writes, uh, I think, on a monthly basis for that. We also have a great uh, online learning library. I forget what it's called, but if you kind of search for it, that uh, it's just a, what do we call that? Personal thing? learning. I don't know what it's called. Well, we keep hearing it's good. So. <laughs> I mean, we do. I get unsolicited feedback. It's like, hey, this has been great. Anyway, we're out of time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend or whatever day it is you're listening to the podcast. And we'll see you next time. This is Scott Hanson, Pat McLean, Allworth Financial. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.